So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. It's really hot in North Carolina. It's really hot where we are. It's like 110 degrees, super humid, and nobody got punched in the face this year. I mean, it's amazing the amount of camaraderie, you know? This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. Becoming a compelling leader unlocks doors to moves that others simply can't make. Moves like successfully expanding your shop during a global pandemic or growing the revenue of the shop by nearly 50% two years in a row. This is exactly what my guest Jay Huff of CarMedics in North Carolina accomplished. In this process, he discovered four major keys to leading a team to greatness. In our interview, Jay will tell his important story and share those keys he discovered. If you want to become a better leader and lead your team to greatness, then stay tuned. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top-performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high-converting Google ads, traffic-driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, super happy you're here, man. Uh, yeah, I, I've uh, known you for a long time and I really love your story and I'm excited for you to share and tell us what's been going on. So um, let's dive in. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So my name is Jay. I own CarMedics in Durham, North Carolina. Awesome, man. Uh, so how did you get started in the industry? How did you open your shop? Yeah. So in 2009, I graduated NC State University with a supply chain management degree. But at that time, it was right after the 08 crash. So I couldn't get a job anywhere. Everyone was getting fired. No one's going to hire an entry-level guy. So um, I went to seminary and pursued a master's in divinity and worship leading. It's like completely opposite from auto repair. Wow. So, yeah. So I was leading worship at church and my drummer, he owned an automotive shop and he needed uh, help up front running the counter. So I did that part-time for 10 bucks an hour, ended up being full-time, ended up going, being a manager at like National Tire and Battery, went to sell cars at Lexus, and then finally ended up at CarMax as a service advisor. And the position to be at CarMax was the buyer. And I really wanted that position. So I interviewed for that. And a week later, they called me into the office and they flew up this head guy from headquarters from Virginia. And he ended up being the, uh, 
loss prevention theft like guy. So they thought I was colluding and they thought I was sending customers oh, other places, things like that. It was a big misunderstanding. I wasn't doing that. Cleared the air. Everything was good, but left a sour taste in my mouth. And oh. so I just put my two weeks notice in and I decided to um, just advertise on Craigslist and work out of my home garage for a living. And up until that point, my mechanical, I didn't have any mechanical experience minus doing two to three brake jobs my whole life. And I used to change oil in my 96 Civic in college. One day I was, one time I jacked up the front end, uh, not using the jack points, but I used the uh, radiator support and it bent, bent it so that the hood wouldn't close all the way. And the fix for that, I thought I was a genius. I took the uh, hood latch off and, and then it would close flush. So I was like, man, I'm so smart. Well, the next day I was driving down the highway, 60 miles an hour. Oh no. Oncoming traffic on the left and row of trees on the right, 500 foot from a bridge. My hood flies open, slams into my windshield. I had to slam on my brakes, swerve to the right. I ended up like one foot from a ditch and like two foot from a tree on the right. And then like row of cars behind me. And that was the most embarrassing moment in my life. And that was my mechanical experience in its entirety up until that point. And I thought I was a genius for, hey, I'm going to advertise on Craigslist. How hard could it be? I'm going to do this as a professional and fix other people's cars. So yeah. uh, that's that's how I kind of got my foot into it. Um, I was at home doing my own thing for about three months. Um, I changed an engine in the driveway. And I think that's what got me kicked out from doing that at home. So after that, I went mobile. I did that for about six months. During that time, I got pretty good at fixing cars. I got my ASC certification during that time. The first test I took was a general service one, like general maintenance called G1. I failed that one. Like it, I think that one <laughs> they had so that they make you feel good and get you into the field. Well, I failed it. I was only doing brakes at that time. So um, I took the A5 afterwards, which is the uh, brakes ASC. I passed that one. Had an AC patch on my shoulder, well-groomed. I always showed up on time. Um, I went through every single Craigslist ad and looked for the cheapest ad. And I made sure I was the cheapest. I undercut all the Craigslist guys. And so people were surprised when I showed up, you know, well-groomed. And, you know, I was always on time and I didn't mess up anyone's cars. I was pretty professional. So I gained a lot of traction. And I ended up moving into my own sick... uh, my, uh, I ended up moving into a shared location for about another six months, then moved into my own six bay for, uh, about four years. And now I'm in my current location, 10 bays. I moved in 2020. So that's, that's my whole like story in a nutshell. That's amazing, man. So, uh, your, your degree, first degree was in supply chain management, correct? That's correct. And then, and then seminary, like I'm just, uh, we'll dive into the shop, but I'm I'm really curious. Like, you know, your degree, both degrees are so different than auto repair. Like, what did that? W- what was the shift for you where you're like, man, I want to make this my career um, versus the things you had your degrees in? I think it was more like I had no choice um, when I came out of supply chain. I just couldn't get a job, and I was just very lucky and fortunate to meet somebody that owned an automotive shop. So that's that. Um, I grew up in a family. My dad was a pastor. He went to seminary. I just lacked direction. And once I got into seminary, I kind of, I was in a internship for like a, a church planning. 
I found out right there, like I wasn't like a good fit. And now looking back, it's because I had no leadership qualities. You have to have leadership qualities in order to plan a church and become a pastor. And I had none of that. So I thought I didn't have a calling and that's why I moved on. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're in the industry. Otherwise, I wouldn't have met you. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> it worked out well. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the current shop. Like, what kind of numbers are we doing? You said it's ten bays. Tell us a little bit about what's going on right now. Yep. Yeah. So like, when I was in my home garage, I was doing like two thousand. Like mobile, I was doing like two thousand a month. Then in the share building, I was doing like eight thousand. When I moved into the six bay, I was starting to do twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, and now I'm doing two hundred thousand. I'm gonna. I should be doing like two twenty this month in the ten days. Super yeah. awesome, man. Uh, so you've. I want to get into some of the big moves you've made. You mentioned you moved your facility from, uh, from the previous location to the current one. It's a much bigger one. And what is pretty crazy is you moved it like during COVID. Um, and you seem like a fearless guy. Like, let's dive into that a little bit. Tell us about you know, what drove you to move the shop during COVID? What was that like? Like, I'd love to dive into that with you. Yeah. So the space we're in right now, we're in an automotive shopping mall. So there's five shops in there, including ourselves. The one we're in right now was sitting empty for a year. It used to be a Meineke. They didn't renew their lease. And there's other, other things in there. So I actually approached them and wanted that space prior to COVID. And they said, no, uh, they just wanted too much for it. And I didn't agree to the numbers. And when COVID hit in February, there was a lot of fear. Like I remember February was when everything started to like, people were starting to freak out and they didn't know what direction this was going to turn. And it got progressively worse. But that's when I approached them again is February. There were four empty suites in that shopping center. And a gym was supposed to move in and a restaurant was supposed to move in. They pulled out and I, and I found that out. And so I approached them again. I gave them the same numbers that they turned down earlier. And on top of that, I asked for six months free and they happily obliged. So this quote came to mind by Warren Buffett, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. That really like hit me when I heard that. So that's what kind of drove me to, um, to make that decision on approaching them again. Was there fear in your head? Like when you're trying to make that move in the middle of, of the pandemic? Or were you oh, just yeah. like, yeah, I got this? No, I had a lot of doubt and uncertainty. So I was definitely had a lot of fear. Um, everything had to double, you know, I had to, all my expenses doubled, the size of the shop doubled. I would have to add more employees. So definitely had a lot of fear in that. So what helped you overcome that fear and make those, those really big moves? I think it was like determination on wanting to grow. Um, I think that's pretty much what it was. I just really wanted to grow. I just really want to um, have a legacy. I just didn't want to be in the same place. I wanted to move forward and I just wanted to do it in a big way. So Jay, in order to make that move, what would you say was you know the biggest quality that you have in your toolbox that helped you be able to pull that off? Yeah. So, um, I, leadership was definitely the quality. You need a strong leader to be able to move from that small space to the bigger space. And I definitely need a strong leadership, but the problem was I wasn't a strong leader and I was not even a leader at all. I was, I had really bad character. So I'll just give you an example. Like whenever there's a problem in the shop, it's usually between an advisor and a technician because they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum, even though they're in the same boat. So, and 
the technician would come up to me and this was like an everyday occurrence, but this is just an example. Like technician will come up to me and tell me like, Hey, um, the, I'm having problem with this advisor. He charged half an hour for something that he should have charged an hour for. I know that we charged an hour last time. And then I would just be like, yeah, I mean, why did he do that? He should have charged an hour. So why can't he just charge a customer an hour? And then 15 minutes later with the advisor, not knowing that I talked to the technician already, he would come up to me and be like, Hey, this technician is like all pissed off because I charged half an hour. Um, and I know it only takes him 15 minutes. And I would tell him, Hey, why did he do that? He should have, you know, he should be happy with half an hour. It only takes him 15 minutes to do it. So as you can imagine, this caused a lot of havoc in the shop. That's the type of person I was. I was chronic people pleaser, just telling people what they wanted to hear, uh, being two-faced. I'll give you one more example of what a bad leader character I was. Uh, it's circa 2017, 2018, we hired on an A-Tech. I don't know. It was easier to hire technicians at that time. And I don't know why he wanted to come work for me. I had like an ad out saying I was always busy, things like that, top pay. And I hired him on. And that Monday when he started, I didn't even show up because I knew we were slow and I didn't want that confrontation. And I was just sitting at home, looking at the camera, just sweating bullets and just crossing my fingers that hopefully a car came in. Like two or three cars came in that morning. And of course, the technicians that were already there took those cars. And I never explained the reason to the technicians why we were bringing on another person while it was slow. So that new guy did absolutely nothing for until noon. And then he just packed up his stuff and left, not even text message or anything. And rightly so, I would have done the same thing. But that was the type of person I was. Uh, at the end of 2017, I joined a coaching company and I was doing about um, 30 to 40,000 at that time. And then right after I joined it, I immediately got like a boost to like 50s because I was going from no systems to systems. And I was stuck at 60 grand for a while for like two years. And I was so frustrated. It was everyone else's fault, but mine. Like, I remember this one coaching session I had. I was like, dude, why am I stuck at 60 when everyone else is like, like so much like propelling forward? Like, why am I the only one stuck? I said, why, why, why? So frustrated, pissed off at everyone else, but myself. And I remember the very last coaching session of 2019. And I remember this so clearly because it was so monumental. And my coach said to me, Hey, why don't you ask another coach, another um, shop owner that did a million dollars last year? Because that was a holy grail back then, right? 83333. I wanted to be a million dollar shop. Why don't you ask somebody that's done a million dollars and ask them how they did it? So the week after we had a conference and we had our tribe time, which is, you know, our 20 group. And I approached a shop owner that I knew did a million. And I said, hey, did you do a million dollars last year? And he said, yeah. And then I asked him, how'd you do it? And he only said one thing. He said leadership. He might have said more than one thing, but that's the only thing I recall. Mm -hmm. And this this uh, shop owner, his name is Todd Baldridge. He was I listened to his episode like a couple of weeks ago. And um, you guys need to check it out. Really good. It was really monumental. But how do you go from being like a crap person like to being a strong leader? And I read all these books, listened to all these podcasts, and I can't tell you a single one of them because it didn't hit me. The thing that made a difference for me was a quote by Aaron Stokes. He said, talk one to many. And that's what I started doing. As, as soon as I got back to the shop, we started doing once a week meetings every single Monday, seven o'clock sharp. It didn't matter if nobody was there. I would start on the dot and start doing these weekly meetings. And that's what changed it all for me. What are some other lessons? I mean, you know, going from, as you say, being a crap leader, you know, to being a good leader, like there, there's... There's a lot that goes into that. 
what are some other things to someone listening that they can do that you did that helped you become that better leader? Absolutely. So I can give them four practical steps. If you're a bad leader, if you're, this is what you need to do. This is what got me through 2020. First thing is do weekly meetings. And what changes when you start talking one to many and starting to, uh, if you're on that stage and talking to your whole crew, you start getting this uh, level of respect that I've never experienced before. I start getting this mutual respect. I tell someone to do something one time, it gets done. And then eventually I start like pointing at something. It's like magic. It's just, it just gets done. So um, when you start these meetings, if you haven't done meetings, do meetings at least once a week. And in those meetings, the first thing you do is you set goals. So what I did is I went around to every single person in the room and asked them what their goals were. Some of them wanted to, like one of my technicians, he said, hey, I want to be a manager. Another guy said, I want a new truck. I want to buy land. It's, so we have, we're writing down these goals. At the same time, I'm sharing my personal goals and also the vision and casting vision for the shop. And then I start saying things like, hey, what if we were the smallest shop in the shopping center? We're the smallest shop in the three mile radius. And there's like 17 shops there. What if we go from being the smallest shop to the biggest shop? What if we took over the space next door? What if, what if, what if? I start saying what if and just planting the seed. And when you have... When you're in a room and we're sharing everyone's goals, everyone's sharing their personal goals, which requires us to do more sales or book more hours. And then we're casting this vision saying, what if, and dreaming. It's just a recipe for growth. So that's the first thing you do. You set goals. Second thing, you define roles. We end up having to do this every single month. It sounds so simple, but you'd be surprised that everyone forget what their roles are. See, more than one person can do a job, but only one person can be held responsible for it. So it's all about um, accountability. For example, so if I walk into a shop, if I see a puddle of oil on the ground in the morning, then who do I hold accountable for that? See, more than one person can clean the shop, but only one person can be accountable for it. So that's going to be my quality control guy or my general service guy, right? He, It's impossible to for him to clean all 10 bays. It's impossible. It's too big. But he has authority to go up to the technician that made that spill and say, hey, I'm too busy because I got like five other things going on. I'm not able to clean this up right away. Can you clean up your own mess? Thank you. And he has authority to do that because at the end of the day, if it's not done, I'm after him. But so you go around the whole room again and you list out all the roles, owner, advisor, foreman, quality control, parts manager, And then they popcorn and list out what everyone does. So the owner, what does the owner do? I'm, you know, I'm responsible for hiring, marketing, and training. What does the service advisor do? He does sales. He talks to the customers. And when they popcorn like that, you can then, that's step number three, setting expectations. You can set expectations in a group as a whole because everybody knows what each and every other's roles are and their personal roles are. So you set expectations And that way, they actually hold each other accountable, even when you're not there. So that's step number three is setting expectations. Four is holding everybody accountable. So in 2020, after every meeting, I would set aside time and meet with every single person individually, because what gets measured gets done. So by setting expectations, you're measuring. We keep track of everything. Close ratio, you know, we have what's called like the sales tracker keep track of all our numbers, the technician quote. And by measuring that, we can set expectations and then we hold them accountable and we just have a performance review um, every Monday. 
And that just really, really uh, propelled things. So 2020, up until 2020, my goal was 1 million. Our goal was 1 million. And in 2020, we hit it. That's when we started doing goals. Um, it was like a 48% growth year over year. And then last year, we did 1.5, which was another 48% growth. And now we're going to track over 2 million. So, Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust Leads Near Me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google certified partners, they know how to make a top ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. So Jay, you made a massive jump in a very short period of time, going from a million to, you said, two million. How did you do that so quickly? Yeah, so this year, I, I kind of thought for this year, I was like, up until this point, these once a week meetings were so monumental. It helped out so much. What if, what if we did this every single day instead of just once a week? Right now, uh, back then we were open from seven to six. So we had split shifts, but on Mondays, everybody will work. The split shift people will come in the morning and work really long hours. It's impossible to ask them to do that every single day. So I made a conscious decision to um, not open from seven to six anymore, but cut our hours from eight to five. It was I was really hesitant about it because when we're open from seven to six, we're open 30, min- 30 minutes before everyone else in that shopping center and then open after 30 minutes after everybody. Now we're going to be open uh, later than everybody, 30 minutes later and close 30 minutes earlier. But I was like, man, if got, doing these once a week meetings got me this far, how, how much more can everyday meetings get me? And that's what we started doing. And I think it was February of this year, we changed our hours, started meeting every single day. And first I thought we were going to run out of things to talk about. Like, how can we talk about something every single day? But we actually run out of time every single time. And when you're in an environment where you meet with every single person in the room is together in the same room every single morning, it does something to your culture. There's something, there's a level of camaraderie that I haven't seen in other shops that we experience here. And I've never experienced before, even when working elsewhere. For example, um, two weeks ago, um, we had an engine job that we hadn't started yet. And it was Friday, one o'clock. My shop foreman goes, hey, we can do this today. Like, customer already prepaid for it. We just need to book it out. We just got to do it. So my shop foreman's like, hey, we can finish this job this week. It can book out this week. So he got two flat rate technicians on the same job. And he and the shop foreman assisted on it at one o'clock on Friday. I get sent a video text of the car running at six o'clock. We booked that job out, hit a record month. We did uh, not a record month. Well, it's going to be a record month, but hit a record week. And we did 70,000 in that week because we booked out this engine job last minute. And it's really hot in North Carolina. It's really hot where we are. It's like 110 degrees, super humid. And nobody got punched in the face this year. I mean, it's amazing the amount wait, of camaraderity. Wait, you, <laughs> you know, it's before? Oh, no, it was like pretty close though. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because like it's hot, right? Everyone's short-tempered. So That's progress. Um, oh, yeah. 
but we're refining our processes, just making everything better. You're in this room together every single morning and just discussing the prior day before, like, why didn't this sell? Why did, was a customer not happy? What could we have done different? And it becomes a round table. Everybody has ownership of the company at that point. So if you're not having meetings at all, definitely have meetings. If you're only meeting once a week, think about doing it every day and see where that gets you. So Jay, you're, you've made massive strides. You become an awesome leader. You're building an incredible team around you. You know, your future looks amazing. So what's next for you? I'm in the process right now of growing leaders in my shop. And I have a shop foreman and my main advisor that I'm really growing into make them, making them leaders. I brought him to a shop uh, hackers conference last year, brought him to a conference this year. And I'm having them lead meetings twice a week. And they're really, really taking ownership of that. So now they're getting the level of respect and they're having like a really strong ownership in the business. And our coaching group is all about hitting 80% capacity. So I have two, uh, nine two post lifts. So they need to do 32 hours a week on each two post. I'm at 119 effective labor rate, 50-50 parts labor make, uh, split. So I need to do about three, 350000 a month. So that's my next goal. Multi-shop ownership, that's kind of in my blood. I had two failed shops before. Uh, I closed down two shops in 2017. So that's always been on the back of my mind because you only fail if you quit. So I'm, doing, I'm in the very early stages of a build-to-suit deal. This is a term I first heard from Greg Sands at a shop package conference in 2018, and it blew my mind. So what that is, is um, you find a real estate investor that can build a shop from the ground up to your liking, to your specs, and he puts in the lifts and everything, You no capital out of your pocket, and then you just sign a long lease with him. He takes that lease, turns around, and he can sell that property for an X percent cap rate, get all his money back, and then he can do that again, all over again. So essentially, Greg Sands said, you can have 10 shops in 10 years growing that way with zero money out of pocket. And I met with my best friend who was my best man uh, last week for dinner. He has a three acre property that borders a McDonald's and Walgreens, prime location, empty lot. He's been thinking about what to do with it. I I tell him about this build to suit deal. And I tell him like, hey, and you can do this on... The build to suit, use 1031 exchange, tax defer everything once you sell it. And then, hey, man, we can do 10 shops together. I sent him over all my financials. Uh, he's going over it with his dad. So it's very early stages, but it's just, it's a start of something, right? So that's, that's kind of my uh, goal in the long term. Wow. Uh, and I, I love the progression, like you're doing it the right way. You're, you're not, you know, you, you recognize first, I've got to get the home shop, the, the, first shop. I got to get it dialed in. I got to become the right leader. And then I've got to raise up leaders. And now when you have this foundation, you have this thing you can replicate with systems and processes. Now you're like, yeah, let's go to the second shop. Um, I can't wait to hear what happens because uh, all indications say it's going to be a smash. So uh, maybe we'll have you back on in the future. We can talk about that deal. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Jay, I've got one more question for you. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? So I like fast cars. I love sporty cars. You know, I love the exhaust. I love manual. I've had Corvettes. I love them. 
I also love electric cars because I daily drive a Tesla Model 3 Performance. It's the instant torque, zero to 60 in 3.5 seconds. And it's super comfortable because it drives itself. But at the end of the day, if I could only keep one vehicle, I always return to my truck. It's not the flashiest. It's not the most comfortable. I actually hate driving it, but it's the most useful. Like, you know, I take it to the shop. Everyone wants to borrow it. It tows my RV, the boat. Like, none of my other vehicles can do that. And I'm thinking, well, rather than being the flashiest or fastest or the most fun, I'd rather be the most useful and the most needed. And that way I can provide for my family. So I would pick a pickup truck. And if I had to pick a specific one, it'd be the Ram 2500 diesel. Nice. I think that that uh, that truck suits you well, man. Absolutely. Well, Jay, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You've left some great clues for the listeners and ways that they can become better leaders. And uh, at times, I felt like I was like in church, like you were given like sermon points and you know four point sermon. It was it was good, man. I loved it. Thanks so much, Jay. Thanks for having me. That was my interview with Jay Hub. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. To help me in that mission, please leave us a review, subscribe to the show, and tell others about us. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-656-8804. Thanks. Have a great week. No two shops are the same. That's why cookie cutter advice and coaching does not work. In order for your shop to get to the next level, you must have an action plan designed around your shop's unique needs. You'll also need accountability and encouragement along the way. Let ShopFix Academy help you create your best shop. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com.